This afternoon we continue in one of the books of poetry, one of the poetical books in the Old Testament, continuing in Proverbs, turning to chapter 18, turning to chapter 18. Our church read verses 13 through 18, so I'm going to read a couple, three individual verses. For our subject today, listening, learning, and speaking. Verse 13, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Verse 17, He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. And then chapter 19 and verse 20, Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. This series in Proverbs we might call potpourri. There are quite a few um, subjects in Proverbs that we have covered in our series. For instance, the subject of wisdom, the subject of the fear of the Lord. Uh, We've looked at uh, some of the vices that Proverbs warns about, vices like drunkenness, gluttony, uh, apathy or slothfulness. We've looked at friendship. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. We've looked at being a neighbor. We've looked at our attention to the poor that is often found in this book. Subject of Christ in Proverbs. Christ in the poetical books. Subject of eternal life, of heaven, of hell. So there have been quite a few topics that we have discovered, that we have uncovered. But there's also quite a few verses that may not line up in any particular under any particular topic, but should be addressed, given consideration, and and uh, especially verse 17 has is noteworthy in this section. Potpourri. He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. Think about that text for a little bit. What does it mean? How can we unpack something like this? Earlier, it was read publicly from James 1.19, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And that's similar in line with what we're considering this afternoon. We are to listen, learn, and then speak. And that's something that James indicates as well. Listening, learning, and we might say concluding, making conclusions. For verse 13 says, we shouldn't answer a matter until first we listen to it. 
And verse 17 says the same thing in a different way, that someone might present evidence for or against, but we ought not to rush to conclusions, but look at the cross-examination that comes from a different side. But his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. And we'll look at the meaning of that text. But the challenge is that you and I are to be listeners. We are to listen, to hear, is the word to listen in Proverbs. And then to uh, learn when we listen, whether it be a positive or a negative. And as we learn, we, we uh, in our learning process, we ask questions. And we are to come to understanding of matters doctrine and and different matters and then to be able to give a a uh, reasonable and biblical conclusion or a uh, an understanding of that matter Jesus you remember it's interesting when he was a 12 year old the book of Luke gives us five different acts of the Lord when he went to public worship. It says he was sitting. That just sounds like a posture, but it's significant. It's a posture of humility. He was sitting, yet he was the Messiah. He didn't say, let me take over. I'm the Messiah. He was teachable. He increased in learning. So he was sitting. It says he was hearing. He was listening. He was asking, that is, he was learning. He was understanding, that means he was growing, he was becoming wiser, and he was answering. That even is further ahead. That means, in a sense, he began to teach by his answers. And so, it's similar to how Proverbs directs the believer, those who are in Christ, to develop in our Christian lives? Do we have the posture, the position of humility? Are we listening? Or are we always wanting to answer and not hear the person out? As it says in the warning in verse 13, he that answereth the matter before he hears it, it's characteristic of fools. Are we asking questions, desiring to learn? Are we coming to an understanding of matters, growing, in other words? And are we then able to answer questions in a way that indicates that we have understood and that we are able to pass that truth or information on to others as need be? And then we come to the... I'll come to the position that chapter 14, verse 33 says, Wisdom rests in the heart of him that hath understanding. So, first of all, the wisdom of a listener. The position and disposition to listen. It's really a heart matter. There has to be a willingness to listen. And the Lord admonishes us to be a willing listener. It, it's really a, a signal of our humility. We have, that is, we, we need wisdom. 
We are not omniscient. We lack knowledge. And the Lord indicates that people who are not willing to listen, verse chapter 1, verse 24, they refuse knowledge. Verse 25, they set it not what God is indicating He'd like to teach them. They would not. So there's a willingness, there's an unwillingness for those who do not desire to listen. They hate knowledge, verse 29. And again, they would none of His counsel. So the Bible indicates that you and I should have a willingness to listen. And we should never think we're beyond listening. All of us have need of more knowledge and wisdom. We should always be listening when we hear God's Word, when we converse with people, to listen to what people have to say and to be willing to learn. We can, as, as Bob Jones Sr. used to say, we can all skim the cream off everybody's brain. I may have less cream than you, but there's a little bit of cream that we can always skim from everyone's brain. We can even learn from fools. Not to be foolish. But let me, let me give some other translations of a couple verses. I didn't read chapter 19, verse 27, but some Proverbs in certain translations actually give an opposite meaning to what the text really teaches. Look at chapter 19, verse 27. Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth to err from the words of knowledge. That verse seems to say, stop listening to false teachers on the surface. Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth to err from the words of knowledge. That's what it seems to say. And there are many verses that teach us to beware of false teachers, to... uh, to uh, dismiss them. But the actual Hebrew meaning is stop listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. It says exactly the opposite. It's saying if you stop listening to instruction, it will cause you to stray. Cease to hear is another translation and you will stray. Cease listening and you will stray. Cease listening to discipline and you will stray from the words of knowledge. So verse 27, you notice that causeth is in italics in our AV, King James versions. And so it can be translated, as you look at this, cease my son to hear the instruction. There's a pause. The idea is, and you will err from the words of knowledge. Okay, And the context lends to that because verse 28 says, The ungodly witness scorneth judgment, and the mouth of the wicked devoureth iniquity. So they're not listening to instruction. In verse 26, the the, 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 uh, opposite sides of the verse, He that wasteth his father and chaseth away his mother is the son that causes shame. Not listening to the father and mother's instruction. Discipline. And so, this is, a, this is a verse that warns us not to stop listening. 
but to listen to proper instruction and proper discipline. Now, I would even say it's wise, even there are times you have to listen to a false teacher to be able to understand that he's a false teacher, to help warn others. Uh, Paul would, and, and the, the uh, apostolic writers would indicate false teachings. They would, they would have had to listen to the explanation of those who heard false teachers and even to listen to false teachers. And we have often conversations between Jesus and false teachers or false application of the Word of God for us to be able then to learn and to avoid them. And so listening is a key ingredient in the book of Proverbs. And then chapter 18, my main text in chapter uh, yes, 18, verse 17 it teaches the need of cross-examination. Don't just listen to one side. Listen to both sides before you form a conclusion. Just like you see in court. They listen to the prosecuting attorney. They listen to the, the, uh, um, what's the opposite. The, defend, the, the, the defending attorney. And so, other translations of verse 17, the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. And so sometimes the first witness seems very credible and everybody says he's right. But then you bring the cross-examiner and then you say, wait a minute, maybe he's right. And so you obviously have to continue gathering more evidence, more witnesses, more forensic evidence. This is just a basic text teaching, listening to both sides of a matter. Another translation, the first to present his case seems right till another comes forward and questions him. And that's what the text is teaching us. It's teaching us to listen but to listen thoroughly, to listen to both sides before we form a conclusion. And Jesus was listening to the teachers there in the temple in Jerusalem. He was listening to both sides. He was listening thoroughly. And He was asking questions. And you can understand that He wasn't trying to buttonhole them, pigeonhole them, whatever you want to say. He was... He was respectful, but you would have loved to have been a fly in the wall if someone was teaching something that was a little errant that Jesus would ask in such a way that would show his respect as a young man, but would put someone back on his heels to think twice about maybe what he was teaching or how he was applying a text. And so the first thought is we need to always have the position and disposition of a listener and to listen to both sides have a thorough um, discussion of a matter before we can ever form a proper conclusion. And so you have the position and disposition of a listener, but also the discipline of a listener. Um, it, it takes it, it takes perseverance and constant. Uh, heart of humility 
Over and over again, early in Proverbs, a wise man will listen, will hear and increase learning. But it's not until he's listening that he can learn. My son, listen, verse 8. Chapter 4, hear or listen, ye children. Chapter 5, attend or pay attention to me. Verse 7, listen to me now. Chapter 18 and verse 15, the ear seeks, the heart gets knowledge. And so, listening is is critical. Again, chapter 19, verse 27, if we cease to listen, we will learn. And so we need to always be cautious to listen. Again, even uh, listening to false teaching will cause us to understand what false teaching is. But we need to be careful how long we listen to a false teacher, long enough to know they're a false teacher. And not long enough for them to deceive and to persuade. So, chapter 18 and verse 13 is a twin verse where we read that we ought not answer a matter before we are listening. And so, beware of hasty opinions and conclusions. And that will always be a key caution to us in our Christian lives. Let us always be hasty of, of let us always be aware of hasty opinions and conclusions. Let's always wait and wait and pray and wait and listen and and uh, counsel and converse before we make. Opinions and conclusions, especially that could uh, damage and hurt and endanger lives. Think about people that have been in jail for years and now have been discovered to not to have been falsely accused and imprisoned because of the new forensic evidence and the DNA advancements. Obviously, something was missed. Something was not heard. Hasty decisions. And conclusions and convictions were made. <clears throat> but Jesus sat and listened. That was characteristic of Him, to be listening. And even <clears throat> when you read Jesus as the Messiah come on the scene in His years, uh, three years before He died, you, you, you read of people asking questions. He doesn't cut them off midway. He lets them finish their question. He lets everybody hear it. And then he is able to answer. He's already had 30 years of listening, but yet he's still listening. But he's had 30 years of listening and learning and the skill, the wisdom of understanding and answering. And all this, this, this cycle continues in our lives until, and yea, even beyond this life. You know, we're going to be listening forever and ever and ever. We're going to be learning. We're going to be getting more and more understanding forever and ever. Because we're finite and the Lord is infinite. So, even Jesus listened to false teachers enough so He could conclude that they were no longer worth listening to. <laughs> And so that, that in itself is an accomplishment to listen and to finally conclude that I'm not going to listen anymore 
to those teachers. It was a sad thing at the, the fair last week when uh, Tanya uh, sat on one side of a picnic table because the picnic tables were um, basically taken up and she made room for a couple that, that sat on the other side. And uh, we're chatting and they seem to be open to biblical things. And, and then the heart dropped significantly when, we, when they told us that they were Jehovah Witnesses. And, you know, my thought at that point was, okay, I'm not going to get in an argument about the deity of Christ or the reality of hell, but we're just going to go for, you know, are your sins forgiven? Are you born again? Have you, have you, have you repented? You know, I didn't know if they were just early on in that movement, but I did end up, and I said, you know, I don't want to argue, but I, I was speaking to the man at that time and Tiny was speaking to the woman. And I said, I do disagree with you about the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus had the, he had the, uh, the characteristics of God. He knew their thoughts. He could change the weather. I said, that is, those are, those are the attributes of God. And uh, I said, I, I believe God is a prison as well as a paradise. The Bible teaches that it's, it's eternal in nature. But, you know, you listen until you can't listen anymore. And uh, he wasn't obstinate. He wasn't, he didn't stomp his feet as it were. Uh, maybe the Lord will open their hearts. And as we ended up congenially saying goodbye. And you just never know. I did tell them where our church was. And wouldn't that be wonderful if they darkened the, the doorway? So we should be listening to see where people are spiritually. And if maybe they're young, in, if they're in a cult, or maybe they're, they're uh, neophytes, they're young in that cult, and you never know uh, if you could help them. So there are examples of hasty opinions and conclusions um, where often we circumvent listening by cutting people off and, and answering before we hear the matter out. You, know, you think of some statements that were made in the Scriptures. When they heard that Jesus was from Galilee, did you remember a, a person said, Christ doesn't come from Galilee. And it's like they dismissed Him altogether because they thought that the Messiah didn't come from Galilee. Well, I guess they didn't remember reading Isaiah chapter 9 where it says they had seen a great light in Galilee of the nations. In the same way with, you know, about Jesus being from Bethlehem, that he was from the, the nativity of David. Um, you think about the false conclusions that healing on the Sabbath day is profaning the Sabbath. Where did they get that from? They, they went about doing good. Jesus said, look, you circumcise on the Sabbath day because it's the law of God. And isn't it if it's right to circumcise and fulfill a ceremonial law on the Sabbath day, what about the moral law of being good to your neighbor, helping your neighbor in, who's, who's in desperate need of attention, of healing? Then you had those that believed flesh was final, there was no spirit, no angels, and no resurrection. And Jesus said, you do her not knowing the Scriptures. Did not Moses say that God was still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who were long dead? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. 
And then you remember Job's so-called friends. Their conclusion was suffering is a sure sign of sin. Is it? When the, when the disciples saw a man born blind, they said, who sinned? And the fallacy of either or? Who sinned? Their parents? Or this particular man, right? And that's the fallacy of either or. No, it's not either or. It's a third. None of them sinned. This is for the glory of God. And then, of course, there were those that tried to hurry Jesus along in His time as the Messiah. And even Mary, when she said they have no wine, was trying to push Him into the limelight. She, he said, my time has not yet arrived. And His brothers, who said, no one is secretive who desires to be known publicly. Oh, is that always correct? Jesus knew that unless He was secret prior to the cross, that, and, he, and He did have to avoid being made king at least once in His life. So in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. But he that refrain his lips is wise. Chapter 10 and verse 19. Chapter 29 and verse 20. He that is hasty in his words, there's more hope of a fool than for him. And so we have the, the uh, wisdom of being disciplined to listen. So the disposition, but also the discipline of persevering in our listening spirits. Thirdly, the wisdom of inquiry, of asking questions, of cross-examination, like it says in chapter 18 and verse 17. We listen to one side and we think we're going to make a conclusion, but we then allow the other side to cross-examine and we realize we need more information and there's two sides to every story and we need to be careful to not form immature conclusions. The word for, um, in, verse chap- in chapter 18, verse 17, the word for cause is simply a word that means matter or controversy or strife or lawsuit, depending on the context. For instance, in Deuteronomy 25.1, if there's a controversy between men, and he gives instructions on how to deal with the controversy. In chapter 13 of Genesis, Abraham noticed there was strife between his shepherds and Lot's shepherds. And he said, look, and, and he, he understood the situation, and he said, look, we need to cease the strife. And he seemed to settle it pretty well. So Abraham had some understanding, and he must have been listening too to both sides and said, okay, you go, tell you what, you go wherever you want. And I'll take the opposite direction. That was a pretty humble and wise uh, solution to the problem. In Proverbs 15, it says, He that's slow to anger appeases strife. So when there's strife and controversy, always we ought to have a calm spirit. Always be slow to anger, even if we are on the short end of the stick. Because we understand that the glory of God is really the what's at stake and not whether I'm right and whether I profit or not. So often we're self-focused as far as our controversies are concerned. Of course, the Lord said He would plead the cause of the poor and needy and the widow. We see that in chapter 22, verse 23. And so we ought... Remember, in, in the king's mother said, 
You know, plead for the plead the cause of the poor and needy. Because they're always going to be oppressed. Be on the side of the oppressed. And always be on guard regarding the oppressor. And then there are times we debate our cause, chapter 25, verse 9, with our neighbor himself. We don't bring it publicly. We try to deal as much as possible privately with private matters until we take it publicly. And again, we're listening to both sides. What does our neighbor have to say? And will he listen to our side? And do we have witnesses? Do we have evidences? And we gather information and we wait to make conclusions until we're confident that all the, the, uh, the facts have been gathered. And then we have to beware of meddling with strife that's none of our business. It says in chapter 26 and verse 17, meddle not with strife um, that's not yours. I interpret it as not your own business. And I'll just look at that text. 26.17 says to... Uh, uh, he that passes by and meddleth with strife belonging not to him is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. Well, my interpretation of that is to try to take the dog by the ears, you're going to probably get your hand bit. And you're going to get, you're going to get injured. And I've told you the story about going door to door and, and, uh, walking upon a situation where the two neighbors were on the edge of each other's property and their noses were almost touching if they didn't touch. And I felt sorry for the guy on the right because the guy on the left had his wife with him, you know, going, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the poor guy on the right had nobody to plead his cause. And I started to meddle with it. You know, I was trying to be an umpire and I said, you know, time is short. I wouldn't get any... any I know if I'd have kept it up, they probably would have turned at me and both fists would have come in my direction and they would have, like Pilate and Herod, they would have become friends at my cost. And uh, so I backed away and we went down the street to the next house. And as we came back, I don't remember if they were still arguing on the edge of their property, but I hope, I hope that the situation was rectified. But we have to be careful that we don't meddle with other people's controversies. But where we can help, we certainly want to be there to be witnesses and umpires and, and uh, helps. So we ought not to cause unnecessary strife. But a, and a striving spirit can only be settled by calmness and a soft answer and truth. And uh, we ought to always plead the cause of those who are oppressed or in need of, of wisdom and patience and an unprejudiced spirit. And controversy always needs counsel. And whenever we have controversies, we should all look for that truth. In the multitude of counselors, there's safety. And it's interesting how the Bible teaches that we ought not... One man put it this way, judge causes, not persons. And that's a good piece of information because, for instance, in Leviticus 19.15, the Lord said, Don't respect the poor nor honor the, the wealthy in righteousness, but you shall judge your neighbor righteously. And there's a text to take people who always use the verse, Judge not lest you be judged. 
Because the Bible tells us right there, when you do judge, do it righteously. And so don't just be merciful because they're poor or be intimidated because they're rich, but realize that both rich and poor will meet the Lord at the day of judgment. And a pretty ominous text is in, I think it's chapter 16 of Revelation, where when the Lord comes back, it says that not just the kings are going to fear, but the bondmen, the slaves. So it's not just the wicked rich that will be in hell, but the wicked poor, if they die without Christ, will also be in hell. And we've met, if, you, if you've lived long enough, if you've, if you've witnessed long enough, we realize that it's not just the, the rich that are rough and, and uh, obstinate and uh, offended if you preach the gospel to them. There are often poor people that are bitter and are unwilling to listen to the truth that they can be rich toward God. And then the word uh, in verse 17 that's translated searcheth is the word examiner to find out something. It's used of, of us praying, search me, O God, and know my heart. It's used of um, us it, not being able to search to find out God. Job says, Canst thou by searching find out God? It's used uh, about godly people who are able to discern unsaved rich people that they're wise in their own eyes. They're proud in their own eyes. They can have... When you're a, 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 a believer who have been listening and learning and understanding... You're able to see a person who is too, too blind, too close to the mirror to see really their real self. And you're able to objectively see, look, they're blinded by their sin and they're blinded by their riches. They're deceived. And it's also used of the honor of kings to search out a matter. Just like the mother of the king said in chapter 31, I think, she said, plead the cause of the poor and needy. Don't drink because it's going gonna, it's gonna, uh, to cause you to not have discernment in cases that are serious. And then it's interesting, in chapter 23 and verse 30, um, people go to seek mixed wine. I think it's the danger of, dis- of discovering the evil of drunkenness by searching out that matter. You know how people will, out of curiosity, I want to try that drug. I want to try the cigarettes. I want to try getting drunk. And it, the, the first snare gets them hooked. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a dangerous thing to search uh, very dangerous uh, substances and occasions. So, this text is saying, when people have matters that are important to them and controversies that you where you get involved in, be sure to examine and cross-examine, to discover all the facts, to obtain witnesses, as it says in the eyes in the in the in the in, in, in the in with two or three witnesses, cases to be uh, decided, not merely one witness. So. Uh, 
uh, eyes, as we've seen, if we've watched enough forensic um, programs, the eyes can be deceiving. People thought for sure they saw that person commit that crime and they realized by DNA evidence that uh, their eyes had been mistaken. To get forensic evidence, as we would say in our day, to seek divine guidance, to be careful that we're praying as we uh, help decide matters. Lord, please give me a listening heart. Please, Lord, help me to learn from the discussions. Help me to understand what's happening. Please give me wisdom to ask the right questions and then to form the right conclusions. We often underestimate prayer and seeking the Lord. What happened with Achan? Joshua didn't call upon the Lord and say, okay, Lord, here's our next battle against I. Should we take all the men into battle or just some of the men? Are we ready for battle, Lord? What would the Lord have told them? Achan has polluted the camp. So they lost 36 men. 36 men. Because they didn't inquire of the Lord that there was a, an obstacle to the next battle. That they needed to deal with a, an apostate in the, in the camp. How about Joshua when the Gibeonites came to make a deal, to make a covenant? They came and they pretended like they were far away. Remember, they were just close by. It's like somebody from Hamburg coming to us and saying, you know, we're, we're, and they brought evidence. They, they purposely brought stale bread and, and shoes that were falling apart and, and other evidences of being far away. And just three days later, they discovered they were right under their noses. Joshua didn't inquire of the Lord. Now, in that case, I, I think I, I can conclude that God could have easily told Joshua about the Gibeonites and of Achan too. But in the case of the Gibeonites, I think we can read from, I think it's chapter 10, that it was of the Lord to not slay the Gibeonites because they were elect. But they didn't need to deceive Joshua. I believe that if they'd have gone to Joshua and just said, look, we've heard of the Lord. We fear the Lord. Will you be merciful to us? We inquire of the Lord that He would be kind to us and not destroy us. We'll be your servants. Now, if they had just come honestly to Joshua, the Lord certainly would have uh, shown His grace. He's a gracious God. Second Samuel, David didn't deal with his sons honestly and it cost him dearly all the strife in his family. He didn't seek to question and, and cross-examine his sons for their misbehavior. And so the wisdom of inquiry and cross-examination. You see, this is quite extensive when we think about one text. But the grace and gift of understanding. There's a point where God begins to give us understanding in, in, the, in the, the, uh, the, the journey of listening and learning and asking questions. He gives us the grace and gift of understanding. It's, it's all part of salvation as we grow in the Lord. and He rewards the humility of listening and, and our prayer to learn, our skill in questioning, make, giving, offering this, the, the, the right questions. He gives us the hope of understanding. Interestingly, 
And I use that word a lot, don't I? I need to use a synonym. Um, Fascinatingly, in chapter 17, verses 18 to 28, it's a passage about understanding. So look with me there. Hang on. Hang on. It's not going to be too much longer. Chapter 17, in verses 18 to 28, fascinatingly, it's a passage about understanding. Look at how often we see the word understanding in that passage. And so just, just bear with me for a little bit. Chapter 17, verse 18. A man void of understanding striketh hands and become a surety in the presence of his friend. So you see what that says is if we fail to come to, to, to be, if we fail to be understanding people of skill, people who are mature in the use of truth and knowledge, we're going to be hasty in our decisions of, and we're going to incur debt. We're going to answer prematurely like verse 13 of 18 says. Like Eli's assessment of Hannah. He thought when he saw her just mumbling that she, wasn't, she wasn't, didn't have any sound, any volume, that she was drunk. He came to a false conclusion. They thought they were drunk in, in, uh, at Pentecost. And Peter said, it's just the third hour of the day. Just early morning. Now there are drunks that, can, that drink 24-7. But it was just logical. Luke 9, John concluded that a man, if he didn't follow the, right in line with the disciples and you know, didn't join their bandwagon, that they were going to rebuke him. And Jesus said, no, I don't just have one, one group. I mean, that's in, in a sense one of the texts that justify many good denominations that exist today. People ask, why Presbyterian? Why Baptist? Why, uh, you know, godly Methodists? Why uh, different denominations? Isn't that because of our failure to agree and to get along together? Well, no, that's not necessarily the case. The Lord loves variety. And He wants us to wrestle and, and get along with believers where we disagree on non-essentials. He's testing our love for each other. And we see the disciples forbidding parents from bringing children as if the Lord didn't have time for little children to bless them. How we, how we un- misunderstand the kindness and tenderness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see, if you're void of understanding, you're going to be hasty in your decisions and your conclusions. Verse 24 says, Wisdom is before him that hath understanding. So I think what it's saying there, with the eyes of a fool and the ends of the earth, is that wisdom is necessary for understanding. You won't fantasize and just dream up conclusions. If you're understanding, you'll have wise resolutions. Logical. Verse 27, basically a conclusion to this section. He that is... He that hath knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. The wonder of, of the maturity of the Christian who goes through the journey that Jesus shows is that when you have understanding, you're not shaken by foolishness and, 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 and uh, un, you know, unbiblical, untruthful decisions and actions that people make. You're you're calm. 
just like it says of Daniel, he was of an excellent spirit. Nothing shook him because he was walking with God and he was being taught of the Lord. And even if it risked his life, you don't see Daniel, you know, uh, losing it, you know, uh, uh, abandoning his faith because he's going to be cast into the lion's den. There's no indication that Daniel was kicking and screaming as they led him to the lion's den. I, I sense that they, Daniel said, I don't need any ropes around my wrists. I'll, I'll go with you. You know, he believed that, that his God was with him and that he was walking in the truth. And you'll have an excellent spirit if you are a listener, a learner, if you ask questions, if you come to understand the truth, and you just have a mature, Godly spirit. Uh, understanding is the goal of Proverbs. Chapter 1, verse 2, to perceive the words of understanding. Verse 5, a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. That is, he'll either seek counsel and or he'll give counsel. Chapter 1, verse 6, to understand a proverb is, is the goal of the book of Proverbs. That we might not just know the meaning but to understand the nuances of truth. There's a, there's a difference. Boy, this means this, but what about the nuance of it in all kinds of situations? And the knowledge of the holy is understanding at the end of the day. So, we find that a man of understanding will have a knowledge of sin, a hatred of sin. Uh, the Proverbs, faith in God, Respect God's commandments, discern His precepts and prohibitions. We'll know, understand, and be familiar with the danger of adultery, debt, bad associates, and so on. We'll have a desire for a virtuous spouse, and we'll have a resume of one. We'll be, we'll uh, appreciate the dangers of anger and pride and greed. We'll appreciate the value of good friends. We'll be neighborly. We'll love our neighbors ourself. We'll be characterized by honesty, generosity, and mercy. These are all just samples of Proverbs that we come to understand. And then finally, we'll answer and form opinions and conclusions and have the, the platform to speak if we've been consistent in being listeners, learners, those who ask questions and come to understand the truth, God will make a way for us to speak, to help people. We'll have words that are wise and timely. We won't have a multitude of words that sin. We'll have choice words that are worthy. Chapter 10 and verse 20. We'll be people that, that others will have confidence that we'll study out matters before we make conclusions and give counsel. Chapter 10 and verse 20, we read, the tongue of the just is as choice silver. Oh, that we would have the tongue of the just. And we'll be like verse 21, the lips of the righteous will feed many. We'll have, we'll have something to say, even if it's not much that's being said. You've always heard having you know, people that, you know, you could hardly get a word out of them, but whatever they said was gold and silver. 
will answer after we've been listening. Chapter 18 and verse 13. What is, what is meant is, He that answers the matter, let's look at it the way the Bible wants us to be. He that answers the matter after he listens. It's wisdom and honor to him. That's the opposite, isn't it? Chapter 18 and verse 16, A man's gift maketh room for him. A man's wisdom, a man's maturity, a man's understanding will make room for him. In chapter 18, verse 17, as we wait until all the evidence is gathered and exists, we'll be careful to listen to all sides and cross-examine and consider all the facts and the evidence. And we'll be able not to be embarrassed by another person somehow coming in with different information. We wait until all the information's in until all the evidence is collected. And no one, we're not afraid of anyone coming in from left field, as it were, with some information that was never given. We're careful to form a conclusion in the will of God for a, a needy soul in their just cause and in their controversy. The just one is careful not to overestimate, to misunderstand, or to refrain from his own cause. It's not about us. It's not about whether we're right. Again, we're judging causes, not persons. And all the while, our spirit should be the spirit of John the Baptist. I must decrease. He must, de- he must increase. To say like the psalmists, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Thy name give glory. O Lord, we're here to help people, not to justify ourselves, not to build ourselves up. Lord, use us to help people. If it need be, even a friend is convicted that we don't, that we don't, are prejudiced toward either, but we want to know the truth. We want to help those that are oppressed. We want to see the oppressors brought to justice. Lord, we look not on our own things, but on the things of others. As for others' causes, we know the Bible teaches, like Ecclesiastes, oppression exists. Ecclesiastes' writer said, he saw all the oppressions under the sun and the tears and the powerlessness and the comfortlessness. And the psalmist, or the the king's mother said, chapter 31, verse 9, plead the cause of the poor and needy. Open thy mouth for the dumb in their causes. Of all that are appointed to destruction... Open thy mouth, judge righteously. And remember the virtuous woman in chapter 31, verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And in her tongue is the law of kindness. That's the word kesed. It's gospel counsel coming out of the mouth of a virtuous man and a virtuous woman. It's not until we gather the information, until we're able to say what I'm going to to give is wisdom and the result of understanding the situation to the glory of God and to the building up of the innocent and the convicting, yea, even the help of the guilty, that by their conviction that they might repent and that they might acknowledge their ways, their evil ways. And so let us take heed from the book of Proverbs. It's wisdom for us to listen to learn 
and then to form opinions and conclusions and the platform to speak what we have learned from our listening. Oh God, who is sufficient for these things? Your word is like a deep, deep mind, jewels rich and rare. Oh Father, we can be so easily be deceived. You said the deceiver, the devil is a deceiver. Lord, we, you, you warn us about people that are deceived and are deceiving. We pray in this world of deception that we will have wisdom, that we will be on our guard, that we will observe, that we will watch out for each other. And oh Lord, as causes and controversies and lawsuits and matters arise, that we will wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We will judge righteous judgment. We will want to be a help to people. We will not seek to justify ourselves, but when we're guilty, that we might recognize it and repent. So often, Lord, we weave webs around ourselves when we are embarrassed that we're caught doing something. Oh, God, I pray, when we fall, that we'll acknowledge it, that we will repent, well, thank you for those who convict us and, and firm conclusions that cost us. Oh Lord, we just want to be right with thee and walk with thee. Please, we pray that you undertake for the oppressed. Undertake for your people, Lord. Your people that are in prison for the gospel. Your people that are suffering persecution in homes and in workplaces even in the church, Lord, undertake. And we know that that you use our trials to drive us to thyself. Oh, God, help us. We feel so often that our trials are going to break us. We need thee, Lord. You don't quench a smoking flax or, or crush a bruised reed. We ask thee, Lord, that we would be, that we would be our brothers and sisters' keepers. And that you would please strengthen us all when these causes and matters come that we'll be ready to understand and not give in to the devil's deception and false guilt. Please lead us. Protect us, Lord. Put a hedge about us. Truly, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. He that runneth into it is safe. Please surround us, Lord. Thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. We praise thee in Jesus' name. Amen.